This is an Aleph special edition for Yom HaShoah, with the voices of Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, Roman Holter, Eva Beecher, Freddie Nola, Rudy Kennedy, Nikki van der Zyl, and the Aleph Junior Choir. My parents did not believe in the propaganda which came across the border from Germany to Poland, although my father read all the Yiddish papers which predicted the doom of Jewish people. They said there is a difference between deeds and words, and we shouldn't fret about it. Hitler is not the man who will come into power. In 1939, just when Hitler's armies came into Poland, into my town of Chodesz, I was only 12. The life was turned upside down to such an extent that in 1939 the Jewish population was 800, just about. The following year was only 360. Well, I was born in Berlin. In 1939, my father didn't come home one night, and so my mother became frantic. So obviously, I was three or four years old. So that that sort of, you know, transferred itself to me. That's that's how I probably began to realize that something wasn't quite right. I was born in Wiesbaden in Germany, a well-known spa city. My family was very assimilated. Jewish knowledge or Jewish traditions were not very much respected and they were involved in art, in music. I had a very happy and well-to-do childhood up to the age of nine, actually. And the first thing was what really changed in my life was when, at that moment when Hitler came to power, my father had to flee the country because he was personally involved in the fight against Nazis well before they came to power. Um, I was born 1921 in Vienna, in Austria. We are part of a lovely uh, middle-class Jewish family, three brothers. You had to learn an instrument. We are all musicians. One played the piano, the other one violin, and naturally I had to play the cello. From 1933 until 1938, we heard all about the uh, anti-Semitic laws which happened in Germany. But we were a different country. We, had, uh, uh, we were naturally nervous, but uh, it didn't affect us uh, uh, until uh, Hitler annexed Austria on the 11th of March, 1938. My father, who was an eternal optimist, he said, ah, well, Hitler will come, Hitler will go, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll get rid of him soon. But naturally, it didn't happen. On the November 1938, the uh, end of the Austrian and German Jewry happened after the Kristallnacht. Um, this is when so many uh, shops, Jewish shops, were smashed in glass, front, the front of the uh, shops were smashed in, and um, so many people uh, uh, were arrested, and uh, 680 Jews committed suicide in Vienna alone. People just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't cope with the situation. My father was the only wise man of our whole family. He knew that the only thing what to do was to go out. And he tried to persuade all the other members of the family. Ne nobody listened to him. 
with the consequence that my granny, my, the two brothers of my mother, the sister of my father, with their, all their families were all deported and ne never came back. I begged them, my parents, why don't you come with us? Uh, said, my father said, nothing will happen to us, we are too old. My father at that time was 56, my mother was 53. And this was, a, uh, this was their, their optimism, oh, nothing will happen to us, but naturally it did. First of all, I have to say that I was very, very young. And um, wherever I went, somebody come to hit me or to do something, and it be I became quite... I mean, he's, he couldn't do anything. And whenever I came to somebody, somebody said, there's a Jew, and so on. And my father, he got very upset, and, and he said something that he would like to get out of this. Yeah. I was uh, taken away. It was... Uh, I, it was very cold, it was, uh, and I remember that my father said, don't worry, don't worry, we'll do something. And then they take my father away. So I was, of course, in a terrible situation. I don't know how I got out of it. And to this date, I don't know. My, my, I knew my parents were gone, everything was gone, and I had, that, that I can, that's all I can say. Rudy, a few years ago, when he was 100%, conceived the idea that we Jewish slave laborers who were in concentration camp and ghettos should get compensation from Germany. He spent his own money traveling to Germany and lobbying and talking and writing, and he managed to get money that Holocaust survivors should get a little bit more pension than they receive now. He became an expert electrician and a very important worker to the German forces, such an extent that he was sent from Auschwitz-Birkenau to Dora, where the doodlebugs were made, V1 and V2. He lived and worked in these caves and slept on stones like Freddy, which were full of water. It's a miracle that he survived, and he survived with enormous spirit. And this is our heroic Rudy now, and we are very proud of him. He's our friend. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to hear from you, so why not email us on podcast at alith.org.uk. Eva, may I ask you about what of your experiences during the period of the Shoah you would wish to make sure is remembered and passed on? Well, the important moment for me was when, after having been a victim of the Swiss border being closed, of being, being arrested, given over to the Gestapo, after my husband had been deported and after us having been hidden in a monastery for eight months, when I was able to go over from this status of a victim to the status of a fighting, decent human being. 
I was very lucky when we were given the address in Grenoble of the movement of the Jewish resistance, the MGS movement of Mouvement de Jeunesse Sioniste, who has established a young fighting uh, unit, making sure that as many Jewish lives, and especially children's lives, could be saved. And I was sent to them, not knowing at all where I was. In the first moment when they told me, why aren't you coming with us and helping us and doing what we are doing? This was the Erlösungswort, you can say. It changed me into somebody who was not only the recipient of wild persecution, but a fighter. We could do something about it. We were sure we would probably die, but we chose our own way to do it. And I think this has saved nearly my sanity, also determined my personality all over my future life. The important thing is that people should realize that in order to survive, you had to have a very special attitude towards life. People who gave up uh, did not, could not continue living, but you had that, that optimism, and this, this optimism in you, this helped us to survive. Faith is not something that one can postulate mathematically, logically, deductively, or inductively. Mm. It is something that people have or have not. And the people who were sent to the first extermination camp in Helmno and were chosen really to do terrible work by working in the crematoria, when they were brought at night, they covered the buckets which were there in their rooms and prayed. They washed their hands and prayed. In such a case, still have the faith to believe in God. It shows what faith is. Those who arrived in Auschwitz and were led to the guest chambers and believed in God found it so much easier. And when they realized that they are going to be taken to guest chamber, they recited Psalm 31. Offhand, the translation goes, I submit into your hands, dear God, God of truth, my soul. And they kept on repeating it over and over again. And they found it very much easier that way because they had no chance of fighting in order to save their life. Their fate was sealed. We are speaking within a Jewish community. We're speaking within a synagogue community, quite typical of communities in Britain and around the world, where there are hundreds, in this, in this community's case, thousands of people who didn't themselves directly experience the Shoah. How do you feel into the future we should be commemorating the Shoah and making sure these memories are part of the lives of our community and our duty to pass on? 
were to to be together as a community and to to stand straight as Jews and bring over the message of Judaism is certainly one way we should go all together. As an individual, I also have chosen to write and I'm writing quite a long time already. And I think the telling with the maximum effort of fairness and truth what has happened to our generation, to our parents, to our children, and to those who have died, uh, is a very good way of commemorating uh, our experience when we try to speak about it even to very young children, even to children who are not Jews, even to German youth, is very positive. And as far as we can, we should try to keep the message alive and straight. And that's what you are doing just now. I personally do uh, lecture in schools all over the UK. This is my mission, more or less, to tell the young people what has happened. I feel that the internet in future should uh, assemble all the testimonies of the survivors and they should be able to tell the world what has happened when we are not here anymore, when we can't lecture anymore. Another thing that I had an idea and I put it to you that uh, we are celebrating Pesach, Passover. Why not include in the Passover uh, Haggadah, the Holocaust, which was similar, so similar to the fate of the Jews in ancient Egypt uh, who were slaves. Well, we were slaves. I was a slave worker in Auschwitz working for IG Farben industry in a chemical factory. And all this here, uh, I put it to you that somehow or other a, a new Haggadah should be created with um, include, including the Shoah. And this is how the, we will never forget what the, what the Egyptian Jews suffered and uh, it will never be forgotten that what we suffered during the Holocaust. Uh, when I lecture in schools, I always emphasize to the children, not necessarily Jewish children, but mixed schools, um, I always emphasize how important it is that how happy we should be to live in a country like, like England that because atrocities that has happened throughout the centuries can only happen uh, in a country which has a dictator or uh, who has a dictatorship. And we should promote, uh, we should promote democracy because atrocities like that could never happen in a democracy. Well, the first thing is that even now, 62 years later, we come across people who deny the Holocaust. We who have gone through it, I was in Lodz Ghetto, in Auschwitz-Birkenau, Stutthof concentration camp, and Dresden slave labor. I'm a witness of what has happened. My whole family were murdered. My relations, my relatives, my friends, from 800 Jewish people of my town, 
four of us survived. Holocaust existed, that's the first thing. Mm. The other thing is terribly important too, that we have to believe when we have leaders of nations or leaders in power who talk about committing genocide, they mean it. They are not simply uttering empty words, mm -hmm. and we have to take it seriously. The third thing is, we Jewish people must be united, united with the humanity, with other people of goodwill, that to ensure that such evils should never occur. We keep on saying never again, but these are simply words. We have to know how to react and how to be united. And we must not forget those who died and died and are buried somewhere that we don't know. They have no cemetery. No prayers have been said over them. And they have been sort of wiped off the face of the earth. We have to carry their soul within us to pass on from generation to generation, from child to child, that they should be remembered and should not be forgotten. We know very little about the expulsion of Jews from Spain. We know very much more about the Shoah. We survive it, do our best in order to keep this memory alive. And we have to see that this memory lives and is passed on. This podcast is from the Northwestern Reform Synagogue in London, which is commonly known as Aleth. You can find out more about us at aleth.org.uk. Roman Halter has an exhibition of his paintings showing currently at the Imperial War Museum. The exhibition will run until the end of April, and this also coincides with Roman's memoirs, which have just been launched. His book is called Roman's Journey. Freddie Noller has written two books. One is entitled Desperate Journey, Vienna, Paris and Auschwitz, and the second book is entitled Living with the Enemy. The sound recording was by Haresh Patel, additional music by Paul Greenstein at audiovert.com, and the programme was produced by Mal Wolford. <laughs>